1: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the, well, Manchester City have won the league by miles of the podcast. I can't believe we thought that wasn't going to happen. And I'm joined by the, well, Leeds are going to finish mid-table of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. And you know what? That's fine. And finally, the, lol, Sheffield United are going down of the podcast. See you, Chris Wilder. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing?
2: Yeah I'm good. Uh, it's cheered me up a bit this morning to think about Chris Wilder and uh, Sam, Allard- Sam Allardyce getting relegated. Um, I think the only thing that would complete the hat-trick would be if Wayne Rooney could manage it with Derby County <laughs> um, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen unfortunately. Yeah
1: that would be a turn up for the books no doubt. Uh, Tom Woodhead how are you doing?
3: Yeah not too bad. Um a weird time to mention the Sheffield United thing when they they just won a game yesterday but obviously it is quite an isolated event so
1: and it is going to make them going down all the more sweeter in my in my <laughs> mind so i i've got on the um running order any news we had a conversation about this and we can't think of any news but we will what we will say is we're recording this on Thursday morning which is before the press conference so um maybe if we recorded this at a sensible time E.g. after the press conference we might have some news but as things stand we are not aware of the fitness of Calvin Phillips amongst other things so uh, that this is our caveat before we begin but this week we are going to talk about West Ham. This week I was lucky enough to talk to Charlie Dewars of Bubble Stats and this is what he had to say about West Ham.
4: So Charlie hi how you doing? I'm good thanks you?
1: Yeah all good. We're deep in the season now and West Ham are in a completely different place to where they
4: were last season.
1: You must be pretty happy with how the season has gone so far.
4: Yeah, I couldn't be much happier, to be honest, with how the season's gone. It's been an absolutely tremendous effort from both the management perspective and also from the what the players are showing on the pitch. It's been absolutely a phenomenal effort from the team.
1: Obviously, this season is a bit of an outlier given everything that's going on around the world. I'm interested in how good you think West Ham are in the grand scheme of things. Do you think that this is something which is repeatable in future seasons? And how would you rank your squad against the other squads in the league, I suppose, is the best way of, of sort of pitching that question?
4: I think we are still away from being able to sustain what is happening this season on and on for multiple seasons. This is because we do still lack depth in some key areas on the pitch, namely at centre forward and also in central midfield. Our starting eleven on paper, I would say, is you're looking at a top half squad who are maybe just pushing towards that sort of Leicester level of players where they can look to take it, take the game to, you know, the teams below them, but also cause the odd upset against like a bigger side but i do think that that will require some astute investment and recruitment so that we can acquire some depth players that fit into the system we currently play similar to how our starting 11 are playing and just being able to continue the system we're playing to allow sort of a uh, depth signings to flourish when our starting 11 get injured because at the minute we're running the risk of an injury crisis and then not having the depth behind to carry on playing how we're playing.
1: What do you think is the biggest challenge gonna be for you in the second half of the season?
4: The biggest challenge I think will be to make sure that everyone is stayed keeps fit in our starting eleven. I do think that at the moment, like I said, in centre midfield with Rice and Soshek who have played every minute of the season so far, and with Antonio up front, who has had sort of a quite a patchy injury history, especially like this season as well. So we need Moyes needs to make sure that, you know, players are uh, okay with the amount of minutes they're playing and also maybe have some rotation going on too, just to make sure that we're not uh, sort of suffering any uh, injury crises at this crucial point in the season where, you know, this is the crunch time. I also think that we would need to place a big focus on keeping it together, keeping our mental state together in order to, sort of beat the teams that we're expected to beat late in the season we have fixtures against Burnley Brighton and West Brom who are all sort of relegation battlers who are going to be arguably more uh sort of you know have that hunger to you know fight for survival so we need to make sure that we can match that and you know give just as much effort if not more on the pitch to uh, outplay them and also against the big sides as well we've only we've only won one game against the sort of traditional big six this season and if we do want to challenge for this Europe spot then we need to be nicking a few points against those big sides I do believe that we can do it it's just a matter of you know keeping keeping it together and just keep doing what we're doing playing our system effectively and not letting the pressure get to us.
1: Uh, With all that in mind what sort of finishing position are you expecting from West Ham this season?
4: Well I want to believe we're going to Get this top six place. um, I still can't quite believe I'm saying that. Uh, I believe that on paper, if you look at West Ham's sort of expected stats and what how we've been playing performance-wise as well on the pitch, I believe we do justify a finish sort of around sixth. However, the sort of pessimist in me, as all West Ham fans have, tells me that we might. There might be a chance we're going to just sort of slip out of it at the very last. I would say no lower, definitely no lower than eighth. But my honest prediction would be either sixth or seventh. It's going to be very close.
1: I feel bad about asking this question, but in terms of next season, how are you feeling about the idea of having to compete on two fronts, both in the league and then in Europe as well? Are you a little bit nervous if, as you've described, that you you have a sort of strong starting 11, that your uh, squad depth won't be enough to, to deal with those two competitions?
4: It's a very good point. Because I know that every fan right now, uh, sorry, every West Ham fan right now, is uh, absolutely over the moon at the prospect of a European competition next season. But that is definitely something that we will need to, as soon as we are confirmed. that hypothetically, if we were confirmed to be playing a European competition, then the planning for you know de- getting that important squad depth will be absolutely crucial to ensure that we don't suffer in both competitions from a lack of squad depth. As you said, there'll be a lot of minutes lumped on to the players who are already going to be facing a busy Premier League schedule. If you look at the key players who play every minute, Rice, Socek, Cresswell, there is going to be a lot of pressure on them. So we would need to start recruitment for a European campaign quite quickly and we would need to address key areas which I think even now you can see where the gaps are and a european competition on top of that could very well lead to some uh, injury issues as well as possibly a mental a sort of mental slump as well so it would be incredible but yeah realistically we do need a plan and we need appropriate recruitment to ensure that we don't we, we don't drop off and we sustain what's happening right now
1: yeah i feel very guilty asking that question because i think the same Question applied to Leeds would probably I would jump at it, no problems and no questions asked, and just accept uh, Europe and maybe a bit of a dip of form in the league. So uh, I don't blame you for being excited about that. But let's talk about the game last time around. So what did you make of the last game between these two sides earlier in the season?
4: I thought it was a very professional performance from West Ham. Uh, we went behind early in the game, Leeds scoring the penalty, but you know we kept our heads in it. We stayed compact. We stayed quick on the counter. We fought, you know, had commitment uh, going forward and in defence. And then we ended up getting two important goals from what from what is one of our strongest points, uh, set pieces, two set piece goals. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was uh, necessarily pretty, but it was a very well fought result. And I think that's all West Ham fans really want to see from the team is just showing that commitment and showing that fight and not just giving up uh, you know, giving up after the first half, really having a having a system they can stick to, but also individually, each player giving it, you know, trying their best to perform their roles to the best of their ability, which is something we have often, we often don't see on the pitch at West Ham in the past, like sort of few seasons where we've uh, sort of been floating up and down the mid table. I think it's what Moyes has done with his like man management and squad morale has been absolutely brilliant. I just think that uh, the, the, Le- the Leeds result was a really good example of that. Do you think we'll see anything
1: different from David Moyes this time around? Because he definitely got the tactics right last time around.
4: Yeah, I think we have a couple of options really when it comes to tactics. It's the question of whether we're going to be playing our back three, which we played sort of during the first half of the season most regularly. But we've also recently seen a switch over to the uh, 4-2-3-1. I believe the Leeds match last year was the first match where we... Made that switch from the three four three after our wing back Masawaku was injured, and the players have adapted to it really well. I do think the when we are playing three at the back, we seem a bit more comfortable with like in like our sort of uh, possession patterns and how we get the ball forward. I think we're a little bit more awkward trying to play like that with a back four, but the back four does give us an extra attacker in that number ten role who can really sort of pull the strings against uh, the opposition and also have some uh as long as they are working hard and getting up and down the pitch being able to mark players in midfield as well doing that defensive duty it can really work to our benefit so I think with for the Leeds game I would not be surprised at all if Moyes sticks with what worked last time and play with the four at the back with the front four but it it would be hard to tell up until until the team is announced
1: yeah, and I've just rewatched that game back today actually and I, I noticed in that game that um, we saw Saeed Benrahma playing as a 10 and he kept Calvin Phillips fairly quiet in that game and I think that did uh, impact the game quite substantially. So I'd be surprised if we didn't see that 4-2-3-1 again. Um, more generally, would you say that West Ham have changed tactically much during the course of the season?
4: I think we have kept our general tactical philosophy quite consistent, just emphasising the sort of solidity at the back and sort of quickness getting the ball forward into the attack, so quick transitions. Um, we are not, you know, we 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 now are comfortable when the opposition has the ball around our box. It doesn't feel like we're being frantic. It feels like we're being disciplined and patient, I think, uh, is the best way to sum it up. We've now got sort of a team that is willing to sort of sit, wait for the bright moment, and then hit it to the wing or hit it to Antonio, who can then sort of launch forward. So I would say that we, yeah, have also maintained focus on, you know, set pieces as well. I think we've scored, I can't remember how exactly how many it is from set pieces now, but we've clearly been practising those a lot in the training ground as well, making sure we make the most of our chances, uh, which I think against teams that have the ball more, it will be more uh, sort of imperative that we are precise and do um, do take what we can create. So... But yeah, those those key philosophies remain intact.
1: This seems like a question that I probably wouldn't have thought was the case in the beginning of the season. But how much did you think that the Declan Rice Thomas Sutchek double pivot in midfield was going to be such a success at the start of the season? I remember reading a Athletic article at the um, uh, in the last few weeks, which sort of talked about them as almost being like two centre backs in front of the the back four, and uh, it's clearly working working well for. West Ham to have those two in that double pivot. Why do you think it's worked so well and um, how much did you see this thing coming?
4: Yeah, well, I expected them to be a key part of our system going into this season, whether, you know, no, no matter how well we did. But I don't think I expected them to be just as effective as they have been, really. I mean, it's been as a pairing, I'd say they're one of the best central mid pairings I've seen at West Ham. I think what makes them so good is because they sort of have this understanding of each other. Uh, There's there's almost like a synergy with how they, they play. Both are good, very good athletes, very good at covering ground, very good tacklers, very physically strong. But they differ where you have Rice, who is sort of the more conservative player who will sit back, sort of read the game a bit more, is more of a sort of competent passer. And is happy to just sort of sit back and let, and do his more defensive duty. Whereas Sosek, despite being more limited in possession, is extremely effective at getting forward, driving forward into the box, contributing to like the attacking phases. So Rice's unselfishness allows Thomas Sosek to sort of get into the box, win headers, win important you know lay off quick passes, really really flourish in the final third, where he was also very good for uh, Slavia Prague as well. So I think that really they they bounce so well off each other. And this is what's led to such a a brilliant partnership this season. Let's
1: have a look forward to the game on Monday evening. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment?
4: So West Ham have a few injuries um, at the moment to first-team players. So we have Angelo Ogbonna, who I would say has been our best defender this year, is currently ruled out. Arthur Masawaku, who's been missing for some time now since last year, uh, it's also ruled out. I don't think we'll see him return for another few weeks at least. And then Andrei Yamalenko, who although not a starting eleven player, has featured for us has featured for us in the in patches this season, is also out with injuries. We also have uh, some doubts over whether Lucas Fabianski is fit to return to the team after he missed last week's game. And Ryan Fredericks, who is proven to be quite a good sort of a depth player for us, playing at both right-back and right-midfield, missed last game as well and is doubtful.
1: So how do you think you'll line up on Monday night
4: then? I think we're going to line up with a back four in a 4-2-3-1. one i I'm got my fingers crossed and I'm going to say Lucas Fabianski starts in goal. Right-back, uh, no questions really. Vladimir Kufel, or Sofel, forgive me if I butchered that. Centre-back, uh, Craig Dawson, who's been... Absolutely fantastic stepping in uh, into the first team this season. Then partnered up with Issa Diop, who has taken a while to sort of get into the team, but has really shown good quality in the last couple of games. Aaron Questwell uh, will play at left back. Then the as we, the double pivot, as we were talking about, Declan Rice and Thomas Soshek. And then the front four, I believe will consist of Jared Bowen on the right, Jesse Lingard in the centre, Pablo Fornells on the left and Mikel Antonio up front. I've left out Ben Rama because I don't believe, knowing David Moyes' team selections, I don't think he will start him, but I may well be proven wrong. Any of sort of Bowen, Lingard, Fournells, or Ben Rama could feature in that sort of three attacking fielders behind the centre forward, but I think that it will be Bowen, Lingard, and Fournells.
1: So, one question that I ask all of our guests is which players need to perform well if they're to beat Leeds? So, who have you got for your players who need to perform well? The front four in particular,
4: whoever it may be, but I'm looking especially at Jesse Lingard to be precise when we're breaking forward and to have a real good synergy about one another. We're going to have less of the ball against Leeds. Uh, and when we are breaking forward, you know, getting into those, so outnumbering the defenders, we're going to need very good, incisive passing, quick decision making, good attacking runs being made. And I think so far, Lingard, since coming into the team, has been absolutely instrumental in so many of our attacking moves. So if he's on his game, then it will be a lift to everybody else around him. So I'm really uh, looking forward to see how he performs. Uh, As well as that, I'm also looking at our set-piece deliverers in Aaron Cresswell and Jared Bowen. I know it's quite a a bit of a cliche, but, you know, set-pieces can win games, as West Ham have done with... Many many set pieces this season, as you as Leeds fans will remember from the last game. So, good delivery is going to be key there if we want to. You know, if we're looking to nick goals, or you know, te- if we're going to go behind again, we want to get one back. This is a really, really, really golden opportunities for us to do that. And so, we're going to be needing some good delivery from the set piece takers.
1: And at the other side of the pitch, which of the Leeds players are you worried about in particular?
4: Uh, there's an answer that I think you may have had. Quite a few times so far, but uh, one that does kind of scare me a bit is Rafinha. I mean, from what I've seen of him this season, he has been so, um, so, so instrumental in how Leeds you know, Leeds creating their chances. So, Wilms seems to be all over the pitch when Leeds are in, in attack. Um, he's. I, I did some back reading, on, background reading on him. He's Leeds's leader in key passes, dribbles, crosses. The the amount, the the sheer volume of what he gets involved with it seems is uh, in- incredible and so i'm uh, really uh, sort of pulling for us to well hopefully shut him down but he's looked absolutely brilliant so far this season as well as that sort of further back uh, calvin phillips as well i know he didn't ha- have the best game last time out against us but having watched him in plenty of other matches he's uh, absolutely fantastic defensive midfielder really pulls the strings in midfield and uh, yeah is just very uh, strong presence to contain. So I am wary of wary of those threats, but I do think that Moyes will have something up his sleeve to sort of try and nullify them tactically.
1: I don't ever ask for predictions on this podcast. You're welcome to to offer one, but I'm more interested in how you think the game's going to go. What do you think the game's going to look like on, on Monday night?
4: I think it will be similar to the previous game. So Leeds are going to have more of the ball, as is just the nature of how Leeds play. We're going to have to be patient, sit back, look for opportunities, win the balls back. I'm sure Rice and Sosek will be battling in that centre midfield uh, slot just in front of the back four, and we're just going to look to knock the ball forward to uh, the to, to the forwards that who can then sort of look to punish Leeds on the break. I know that Leeds in defence can be a bit; uh, they can sort of be pulled apart with the right moves. So, I and you know they do. Often give up, uh, give up chances when sort of given the nature of how they play possession wise, give up the ball in in good positions for us to break forward. So it's going to be a game of patience for us. And also just looking to, again, like we did the last game with the set piece, uh, set piece advantages. Prediction wise, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to back the hammers here. I think we're in really good momentum so far, despite the loss to Manchester City last week. We've been in really good momentum. And I think it'll be a very close one, but I can see West Ham edge in it. Come on, you Ryans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Charlie, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What's the best way for our listeners to catch what you're saying football-wise?
4: So you can either follow me on my Twitter account at charlieanddata, but I must also uh, quickly plug a new account, which I have started up with my friend Justin at Bubbles Stats. This is going to be a, a West Ham-based sort of anal- analytics, statistical uh, account that posts not only uh, sort of statistical work behind West Ham, but also like uh, uh, opinion pieces and more sort of technical um, like technical dive into how West Ham have been doing this season and what we can expect for the future from the team. So at Bubble Stats, is uh, find that for all your West Ham needs and more. Well, Charlie, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure.
1: So that was Charlie Jewers of Bobble Stats talking about West Ham. We'll start with you, Joe. What sort of uh, ideas were conjured up in your mind when you were listening to Charlie speak?
2: Yeah, I was thinking a bit about the last time we played West Ham, and I'm thinking about Charlie mentioning West Ham's emphasis on set pieces. Um, and looking at the last, I got I got a stat up. So looking at the last twelve games, um, Leeds have conceded three goals from set pieces, and that includes. El Ghazi's one which was sort of the second phase um, which is quite a big improvement on where we were at the start of the season Um, and it just makes me wonder whether the game will have the same sort of emphasis on set pieces as last time all three goals including the Leeds one were were set pieces if you're counting a penalty as as a set piece Um, and I think this time I personally think we're likely to see a bit more open play um, action. Just because the the Leeds defence seem to have improved quite quite a lot on set pieces and we're likely to have Strouk, Luente and Cooper all on the pitch, um, who have all proven that they're pretty decent at dealing with set pieces over recent weeks.
1: Yeah, it's funny, I watched the game back yesterday, and just that you always think you're sort of immune from narrative, right? But when you when I watched that game back, I didn't I didn't really think that West Ham were as good as I thought they were the first time around. Um, I also didn't really think that we were that worrying (laughs) from set pieces. And I don't know whether or not that's because when you watch it back, you... You aren't worrying about the sorts of things that you're worrying about at the time, and I, I, when you watch back, obviously you know where the goals come from and what situations they arise from. But um, there's clear there clearly has been an improvement from set pieces. I, like no one is talking about set pieces now, really, apart from to talk about us in an attacking sense. So um, yeah, Tom Tom Woodhead, what do you what do you make of this? The sort of set piece phenomenon.
3: It's interesting that you said um, uh, you always think you're immune from narrative and actually employing one of my favourite narrative devices, which is using the second person when you really mean the first person. But (laughs) uh, um, but I I thought it was interesting what Joe said, that um, a reduction in the danger of set pieces will mean more open play action, because I don't think that necessarily is the case. I think it might just mean the same amount of open play action, but less danger from set pieces, which might result in a fairly boring game. But um, West Ham just seem like a, a team that's... Not kind of artificially solid, like you sometimes get when teams play, um, you know, four centre-backs in a back four, like a sort of Sam Allardyce sort of way. They seem like genuinely well-drilled and solid, like um, like Moyes Everton, really, rather than a lot of the other clubs that Moyes has been in charge with since. He's not really had his chance to get his his feet properly under the table, I don't think. Um, and he's sort of showed that he is a better manager than he sometimes get, gets given credit for, I think
1: yeah i think with moys what you're getting is like you say this sort of long term process of of solid football which, if he's given OK players in an attacking sense to work with, can can prove to be quite fruitful. And I, I suppose that it feels very much like a mid-2000s style of football, this sort of notion that if you defend well and you can get a couple of elite players who can go forward in counter-attacking situations, then you can do quite well as a football team. But I suppose the weird thing with, with Moyes is that... I suppose it's not weird because he did have um for Laney when he was at Everton doing the same sort of thing but having his having Thomas Uchek as a sort of like centre-back destroyer playing as a midfielder and scoring goals um has got them has got them a long way as well um I'm of the opinion as Tom as the same opinion as Tom that this is going to end up being quite a boring game because I think in these sorts of games what we'll see is we'll see West Ham sitting back trying to hit us on the break and Leeds not having enough to break them down um which I suppose is, I suppose means that we're probably going to look at you know maybe a, a narrow loss or a narrow win and or even a draw. Whisper the words, but um, yeah, I I don't I don't know where you go from 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 there really in terms of if you're approaching this as a as as Marcelo Bielsa the structure of the game is almost set out before you you know that it, this is going to be a case of how do you break down a solid defense and and as we've seen um that those solid defenses aren't always easy to break down especially when you don't have you know what what most people would call elite talent across the field so uh, I'll put this question to you guys I mean how do we expect the um the game to go in an attacking sense and and do you think that there's anything else that can do uh, other than you know try and get his players running the routes and uh, and try and get his players finding space but if, if West Ham sit back and, and are fairly compact is it just going to be one of those afternoons where it just feels like we're never going to score I'll put this to you first Joe
2: yeah I, th- I think it potentially could be I, I think the one thing that might be the saving grace which I don't know if this is an anomaly this season or not but I always think teams at home are just more inclined to come out and have a bit more possession than they are away. I mean, normally it's because the fans are there and they're paying good money to, you know, then they're not paying good money to just watch you sit and defend for 90 minutes or that's the theory anyway. And obviously with no fans, I'm not sure if that is the case, but I still sort of think that West Ham might want to try and come out a little bit more. Just looking at their position in the table and looking at the season that they're having, um, I'd like to think that they would want to dominate um, a little bit more which you know might mean that we can open them up slightly. And it's funny that you mentioned elite players as well, because I don't think that Rafinha started the last West Ham game uh, from memory. I think he did. Oh, he did. Okay.
1: Yeah, we had both Rodrigo and Rafinha on the field.
2: I think either way we'll be looking to him, won't we, as, as our sort of most elite player um, to break down their defence. For some reason, I felt like he didn't start the last game, but maybe that's just because West Ham was so good defensively that he, uh, Rafinha didn't have many chances.
1: It was early on for Rafinha, so it was it was still at a point where I guess he was he was making his way. So now that he is in, I think a little bit more rambunctious form, it, it'll be it'll be fun to see what what is going on there. But Tom Woodhead. What do you have to say about this, this sort of breaking down of a of a lower block defence?
3: Yeah, we do get these games, don't we, where it seems like we'll never score. Um, but I think it's quite deceptive because I think a lot of our games seem like that until we score. And then obviously, you know, ring the clacks and everything changes. Uh, and it's, it's all you need is that one chance, isn't it? And we do quite often have that one chance in the games and it, it doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't get finished or something you know a player gets a great block in or something so it's it's just going to be really hard I think it's going to be one of those hard games where we don't have many chances and we're going to have to be clinical if we want to get something out of it but I think once we've scored one goal as always everything changes so fingers crossed we can get it. What were the questions that were raised in your mind when you were listening to Charlie speak? Well mine was more of a, a sort of a a long-term one. It seems like uh, and, and Joe was talking about fans being in, uh, not being in stadiums and, and there's still being a sort of home effect I think if there's any team that's benefited from fans <laughs> not being in stadium it would be West Ham because they they were very very unhappy. They all hate the stadium they all um, seem to be very unhappy with the board and with the way the club is run in general So, and, and they weren't happy with the rehiring of Moyes in the first place on the whole I don't think. So I think that the fact that they've not been hollering at him uh, you know, for 90 minutes every couple of weeks has probably really helped Moyes um, get his ideas across and get them to the point now where it seems like the West Ham fans have finally decided that the West Ham way is not the most important thing. And actually, if you're winning enough games, you're willing to accept uh, slightly more dour football. And I just wondered, um, will this also be the case with Leeds fans if and well, when Bielsa does leave? Um, will we be happy to uh, play a more sort of prosaic, staid kind of football if it does result in us, you know, carrying on getting better and winning more games?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I suppose my gut response to this is that I wonder how much of West Ham's success this season has come from the fact that, that football has been in such an outlier season. Um, as I mentioned before, it does feel like mid-2000s football and we've we've already seen clubs who rely on, I think, a little bit more structure tactically. Clubs like Manchester City, Liverpool, um, struggling at the beginning of this season. And <clears throat> we saw clubs that were maybe a little less reliant on on those sorts of tactical foibles doing quite well early on. So Manchester United did quite well early on. Tottenham did quite well early on. And West Ham have done, I guess, well all the way through. I suppose my response would be, Is are we going to see this Moy's style of play still functioning next season when it will feel no doubt that we are back to a level of normality and and you will you know there will have been a full pre-season and there will be I guess no excuses to be not tactically on it um do we think that that's going to be the case Tom
3: I suppose that's the eternal conundrum isn't it and that's what Bielsa always says that when you know when you're winning everyone's always happy but when you're not winning it's sort of it's possible to have a certain level of happiness with not winning as well, and you're certainly not going to have it if you're playing da- like dour football. Um, so I guess it is sort of predicated on um, constant upward growth, um, a bit like global capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and people only start. Rebelling when things go bad. I'll get to you, Joe. What's your take on all of this? How would you feel about if David Moyes replacing Marcelo Bielsa? it feels a little bit like an Alex Ferguson. Situation. Hey,
3: that that wasn't quite the exact <laughs> thing that I was. Trying to say. The last
1: question that I've got written on this sheet is: Would we accept Moyes? So I'm going with. that I'm running with it. Would you accept
2: Moyes, Joe Hill? The question before that on the on the schedule is: So long as we continue rising up the table, that's, you know. <laughs> So I guess in theory, if Bielsa's era is over, if he decides that it's time for him to leave and bows out respectfully and we all cry for two months in the summer, um, if we do get moise and we do start rising up the table and we continue rising up the table, then to a certain degree, I think I probably would accept it. I mean, obviously I'd be reminiscent of the Bielsa era and um, miss the football that we that we played. Um but obviously, I um, I want Leeds to succeed in the long term, and if we if it means that we are rising up the table, um, then I've, then I will accept it. But I think the the fact is that we probably won't uh, rise up the table consistently um, playing football under Moyes, and um, I'm not sure that West Ham can continue in in the long term um, pushing their way into one of the top six sides playing the way that they do, and that's just my opinion. But I also sort of want to echo what Tom said and, and, or what both of you said, um, in terms of how long fans can tolerate it for. Because if you, I think if you lose two games on the bounce, if you're playing Bielsa football, then everyone kind of caveats it by saying, oh, well, we were really unlucky or we had big chances or, you know, everyone's sort of fine with it at this stage. But we've seen teams like Spurs where they just lose two games on the bounce and everyone just loses their shit and they call for Mourinho's head and, um, so I think if we were playing, if we were playing under Moyes, um, there'd probably be a lot more fans calling for his sacking um, after sort of two losses on the bounce. Um, so it's a bit of a tough question, really.
3: Uh, I was just, this entire section of the pod has enormous potential to be massively misinterpreted. <laughs> like, Le- Leeds podcast demands Moyes in. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, the only, the only thing... I would kind of like about that. And I'm not saying that I want David Moyes to manage Leeds is the sort of, um, it's it'd be almost like Rambo, wouldn't it? Like going to Old Trafford with, with Moyes as Leeds United manager, like this, this like hollow eyed uh, sort of shell of a man out for revenge. I, I, I'd like it for that, but not for much else. I don't think. I do
1: think that there is that element here that, that you mentioned Spurs, Joe, and it, it does come down to that, isn't it? That, if you play in a style in a, a style that is not attractive to watch you have to win if you're not winning no one's enjoying it and we we live in this weird world of, of football fandom now where we get sort of caught between the, the the sort of old school desires that you know your club your club is your club and your friends support it and you it's your local club or whatever and and this and this sort of more modern hyper capital idea that everything is revolves around winning and if you're winning then everything's fine and I think managers like Jose Mourinho and David Moyes really pull that to a they stretch that logic and those that tension between those two logics to a breaking point and I think it would very much be that way at least with with Moyes I think if Moyes was to get some results people would be fine but as soon as that as soon as it turns everyone's like what's the point of this like we're we're losing and we're not enjoying it, and I think that you can get a huge amount of uh, lassitude from from fans if they're at least enjoying the losses to a certain extent, which I, I guess is interesting because at the moment I feel like we're lo- we're losing games which are fairly tight and the fan base are just completely disgruntled. And uh, so maybe my point is completely wrong, but I do feel as though if you if you do have a manager like Bielsa, then as you said, Joe, there is that that level of lassitude where where fans are, are happy to just sort of say, well, you know we are going to lose every once in a while one nil to Aston Villa in a fairly unimpressive game but we're also going to have games where we do win in exciting ways and uh, over the long term of this of a season that really balances itself out right we should move on to actually talk about the game yeah, but thanks thanks Tom for that digression it was a it was a fun one when it comes to the game on Monday night as we talked about with Charlie, there's there's going to be two systems here. And, and the story of the season for West Ham has been they played 3-4-3 until they played Leeds, then they switched into a 4-2-3-1, which they've largely used. But they do have the capacity to switch back into that 3-4-3 if they, if they need. How are we feeling about this one? Are we, are we just expecting that because West Ham did well in the 4-2-3-1 last time, that they're going to switch back into that this time, Tom? I would
3: have thought they'd stay the same. I mean, if they've, it seems like they've been playing it pretty much ever since they switched to it so I can't see Moyes suddenly saying oh we switched to this formation against Leeds and it's been working well ever since so we're going to switch back now we're playing Leeds again that I can't see what logic would lead to that so I imagine it'll stay the same
1: yeah and as Charlie was saying it does sound as though the 343 is used when they just need a little bit more cover at the back and I suspect they probably won't feel that they need a little bit more cover at the back against Leeds at home um last time round the four two three one i i guess worked for them fairly well um largely because I think it in the first half anyway the the number ten who was side Ben Rama in this case was able to track calvin Phillips quite a bit towards the end of the game I think when they were two one up they sort of sat a bit deeper and 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 just sort of let Phillips do his thing uh, but I guess we have to we have to admit that in in this game Ben ramo is gonna probably be replaced by Jesse Lingard who is famously one of the best pressing players in the Premier League so I suppose my question to you Joe is how do we feel about the idea of Jesse Lingard tracking potentially Calvin Phillips or potentially I suppose Pascal Strauch around the field on Monday night?
2: I'm not sure really it's quite hard to say because Lingard dropped off the face of the earth for a year didn't he and then suddenly he's come back to West Ham and he's he's looking quite decent um, I mean the t- the two goals that he got against Villa were, were more keeper Blunders, I would say. I think he scored three since he's gone to West Ham, and I'm counting two of those as pretty lucky. Really, the keeper should be saving them. Um, and but he he has bundles of energy, um, and I think he'll bring that against Leeds. And obviously, being an ex-Man United player, um, that's going to help because there's going to be a natural sort of rivalry against Leeds. Um, but then I'm also pretty confident that whether it's Strouk or Phillips, that either of them. Are capable of doing a job um, and can outmuscle Lingard because he isn't—he isn't that giant. He's quite small, and um, I like to think that both Phillips and Strauch are, are stronger than him. Um, so I'm kind of in this weird middle ground where I don't want to say that Lingard's a complete myth um, because I've not—you know—he could be—he could be dangerous, but inside, I—I I just don't really feel that he—he he will be.
1: How about you? Tom Woodhead, how are you feeling about the sort of structural? Because I think we, we've 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 usually said that four two three one suits us quite well in our four one four one, and just in terms of our pressing. Uh, but I did think that any team really who wants to sort of generally keep us quiet can press. What what West Ham did well last time, I think, was pressing us in wide areas on the fullbacks, but also pressing um, Phillips as well. And so in the build up in the first half of that game, they they really didn't give. A huge amount of, uh, of of outlook for for the Leeds build-up, and what we saw was what we don't see very much at all. Actually, is the centre-backs passing directly into the midfielders because um, that was the best outlet for them. So I am interested to see how the how the press goes because uh, you know I I think part of the problem with... was approaching leads in a logical way is that you think that in in certain situations if one structure fits another structure um that it's going to be good but then I think with West Ham we found a four two three one one which can actually cause us problems so what's your whole take on the sort of structural approach?
3: Yeah I, th- I think it, it is difficult for us any team that is able to be consistently disciplined without um lapses in concentration and things like that and and can stay on message which I think is Moises' biggest strength as a manager really um, is 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 being able? I think he just bins off players who aren't able to stay on message like that, and it, which is why I think you often see. Uh, I think at Everton you'd see quite talented players who looked decent, but they wouldn't. They'd usually be on the bench. Lingard is a weird one, isn't he? Because I I, I see him almost as like a sort of low rent um, version of Thomas Muller, in that his main strengths seem to be how uh, in finding space and movement and things, and I don't think he's particularly great at anything else, but I think he is quite good at that and and he's he's quite a transitional player as well, i think, so um he could be a threat on the break i think and and in general, the West Ham i think, as i said, they're just very disciplined in every aspect of their game, so they're not gonna they're not gonna deviate from the hymn sheet then but the hymn sheet i think is is probably quite a powerful one against us. No,
1: i i do agree and i think i think it's going to be a tough game uh, on monday um but let's break down the the individuals within the system then we've already mentioned the defensive midfield role so let's assume that they're playing 4231 that will mean that we're playing 4141 um we've mentioned the 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 defensive midfielder i guess it's probably likely to be strouk um i don't know why i say that but it feels like calvin phillips has not been close to returning um so it just seems as though it won't be a game where he comes back, but um, let's hope that it that it is. Um, if it is Strauch, how do we feel about that,
3: Tom? I mean, I'd rather have Phillips playing, but I don't think we've got any better options than Strauch after Phillips, so I'd be fine with it. If Phillips does play, Strauch
1: presumably drops onto the bench uh, and we play Urente and, and Cooper. Um, we're, we're
3: all happy with that as well, yeah? Um, I don't say that as a given. I wouldn't be 100% surprised if Strauch went back and Laurente dropped to the bench, but I do think that might be quite damaging to his confidence, I think, when he's finally managed to actually stay on the pitch for a couple of games to immediately drop him back. So I think on the balance, I probably would expect to see that happening, yeah. And and I think Strauch is probably a slightly more flexible player to have on the bench as well. You can you can bring him on and alter the structure of the team in ways that you can't necessarily do by bringing Lorente on. Although I guess they would be... The, uh, it's it just a slightly more, you know, you can fit him in more holes from the bench without disrupting the rest of the team, so...
1: Uh, And then, Joe Hill, the question is about who we play in in the two midfield slots. Um, So I've got written down here, Dallas and Click, or Click and Roberts. I suppose Dallas and Roberts is an option as well, ipso facto. But how do you feel about those uh, options as as midfielders? Is that our best midfield?
2: I think it is from the players that we have available. Um, I I think Rodrigo might be nearly back he might be sort of on his way back um but presumably he won't make the starting 11 um if he is because this will be his his first proper game back so i think he he's likely to be on the bench um i think my preferred choice out of those options would be click and roberts um if it means that we can have dallas at left back um i just think that's slightly stronger um but then again i don't really have a problem with seeing dallas and click in midfield together because They've they've shown that um, they can be a great midfield pairing, um, contrary to what everyone thought at the start of the season. But they've looked pretty decent um, the last sort of five or ten games. Um, so I think either way, it's it's, it's going to be okay. In terms of
1: the midfield, I suppose we could theoretically see Dallas playing at left back, um, and then that frees up a space to play. I suppose Click and, and Roberts or someone like that. Um, how do we feel about that? Do we? Is this a game where we want Dallas? For sure, in, in the midfield space, or do we would we be happy for? For I guess I suppose the question is would you be happier with um, Dallas over Alioski at left back, Joe?
2: I'd rather see Dallas over Alioski, and I think having Roberts on um, would possibly give us more in attack. Um, like we say, it's going to be tough to unlock the West Ham um, discipline defence, and I think Roberts can perhaps do a bit more to unlock that, um, and Dallas can do a bit better than Alioski in, in the build-up but um, I don't really have a problem if if Bielsa wants to play Alioski, I don't really mind it but yeah in an adi- in an ideal world it would be Dallas at left back and Click and Roberts in the midfield.
1: I think the only other question then about personnel that we have is about wingers we've seen Helder Costa coming in ahead of Jack Harrison in the last game Tom Woodhead do you expect Harrison to be starting this game or do you think that we'll stick with Costa?
3: This one's almost a coin flip for me as to what I think will happen. I think I'd rather see Harrison play. Um, In general, I just don't think Harrison offers a great deal from the bench when he comes on, whereas I think Costa can change a game from the bench. Um, And, you know, Harrison... In terms of how uh, West Ham look to play, they'll look to do those fast breaks when they, you know, when they get the ball from us when we're attacking. I think Harrison will be probably more useful than Costa in that regard as well. So I, I pro- I'd personally like to see Harrison playing, but I th- yeah, I don't think there's much in it as to who actually will play. Right. So let's talk about
1: the the game itself then. Joe Hill, who are we worried about from the the West Ham side? It's very clear that you're not worried about Jesse Lingard. So which players are you worried about?
2: I think Antonio has looked really good. Um he's just one of those one of those players that can seem to finish anything or almost a bit like Jamie Vardy in that I don't know, he they just seem to get goals out of nowhere. They just seem to be quiet a lot of the game. I mean Antonio's much better at hold-up play than Vardy is, but um they both just seem to score out of nowhere suddenly. Um and I think probably if Antonio had played the last game against Leeds, then we might have lost by a couple more because there was a um a couple of really close chances when I was watching back the highlights, they West Ham hit the post, and uh, Fornells had one that was just scraped the outside of the post. And I think Antonio would probably bury those chances. Um, so for me, it's probably I'm probably worried about him the most, and um, the others would just be the pace behind him with with Lingard and with uh, possibly Benrahma or Bowen. Um, I think that's they they have a good attacking setup in that sense. Is there anyone that you would add to that, Tom?
3: No, not really. I think. Uh, Joe's outlined the main danger people. West Ham to have seem to have this um, tradition of having players where they have names that are unexpected for their nationality, like Mikel Antonio, who you wouldn't expect to be English. And didn't Martin Braithwaite play for West Ham at one point, or, or have I made that up? Like, um, and they've got you know they've got Ryan Fredericks, who's English and sounds like he could be one of those Scandinavian players who <laughs> you think is English. <laughs> Not tactically interesting, probably not interesting in any way at all, but uh, I thought I'd add that in. It's just so I could say something.
1: You're linguistically worried about some of their players, which is good. <laughs> I'm always
3: linguistically worried. <laughs>
1: and then I guess on the other side of the field, who needs to play well for Leeds, Tom?
3: I think the fullbacks, I think uh, just, just with how disciplined West Ham's uh, are defensively, I think they'll need to make the right decisions when they've got the ball. Um and that's why I think I'd probably, on balance, rather see Dallas there than Alioski as well. Because the last few times Alioski's played, he's been making some really poor decisions in possession <laughs> at the back. Um, and just just someone in terms of creativity, like someone someone needs to um, someone needs to do something unexpected, like uh, when West Ham have that low block, and Rafina is the obvious one. But that we do have our other players are capable of doing these things, and I think we just need to have. That bit of look, you know, most games we have three or four moments when someone does do something inventive, but it's hit or it's, uh, you know, it's hit or you know, someone makes a great run but they're not quite seen, and I, we just we just need to make sure that those transient moments kind of connect properly because you mm-hmm. don't get that many of them in a game where the team's sitting really deep.
1: It's one of the things I've noticed, actually, to go tangential again, watching Manchester City. Because obviously Manchester City are fairly good correlate for us in terms of tactics and style. What they want to be doing, what we want to be doing are fairly similar. But you just see the the things that Manchester City can do with the players that they have. There was a goal uh, against Wolves, I think it was against Wolves, yeah, I think it was, where where Rodri just picked the ball up in front of a low block just dink the ball over to Mares, who took a perfect touch and then laid the ball across perfectly for for Sterling who I think it was actually Leandro Dendonka put the ball in his own net but it's things like that where you watch that and you think with players like this you can see how easy easy you can break down I say easy it's never easy but how easy it looks to break down those, those sorts of presses and I feel that's kind of the thing that we struggle with in that all of our players are capable of doing one of those things um But the problem is, is that getting them consistently doing that one thing right in the right order is, is the thing that we, that we don't see. And um, that's, again, that's just a clear, that's just a clientele thing, a personnel thing, just getting people who can do the things that they, that they need to be able to do in the right order in the right moments. Uh, And we're not there yet, so... I suppose I don't really know where I'm going with this, but
3: I think you just you run up against the limits of any system at that point, don't you, when someone's defending well deeply, like systems almost become unimportant to an extent, you do need someone who's thinking outside of a system because if you just if you're thinking within a system, that's inherently predictable, isn't it so?
1: yeah, and part of the reason why these low blocks sit in against teams like leeds and and to a greater extent man City is because you're stopping them from doing the thing that they're good at, which is exploiting space. Um, You just reduce all of that space and say, now we're going to just make you have to rely on extreme creativity and extreme talent. Um, And and obviously against Leeds, that's a much better way of going than it is against Manchester City because they are oozing with talent. But uh, Joe, is there anyone that you wanted to add to the who needs to play well for Leeds section?
2: There's obviously the attacking players that we look for every game. Um, The the other one I would add... um, even though I'd proved that I'd completely uh, erased the Aston Villa game from my memory, um, and they have played together before, but I think Cooper and Lorente, I'd be looking for both of them to to just build on their centre-back partnership, um, and also we might be looking to Lorente to play uh, some of those line-breaking passes uh, that we've seen in the past few games. Um, if West Ham are really sitting and they look really disciplined then um, it could fall to someone like Lorente just to play that unexpected pass that sort of breaks the line between the midfield and the defence perhaps and gets it into Bamford's feet or gets it into Roberts or whoever's there. Um, So I think I'd be looking for those two um, to have solid games, yeah. And then how do you think the game will pan out? I think I completely agree with everything that you guys have been saying and that it's going to be one of those games where we're just going to have to break them down. As I said earlier, I'd like to think that West Ham would come out and play a little bit more, but um, the longer this podcast goes on, the more I just think, no, th- <laughs> this is how it's going to be. It's going to be one of those games. I, I don't feel overly positive, and I think the curse of playing in London is haunting me this week, um, and I'm struggling to see how we're going to get a win. Um, absolutely, I'd take a draw, but I, th- yeah, I think it's going to be pretty low scoring, um, maybe nil nil, or maybe one nil. either way. I mean, even
1: thinking back to the last game, you know, we got a penalty in the in the very early on in the game, and we were lucky to have a chance to take that penalty again. We went one 0 up, and even then, West Ham still ground out a result away from home. Um, they are they're a really tough customer to to deal with. So
3: they probably liked our pitch, though.
1: Yeah, true. Although the pitch <laughs> didn't seem that bad when I watched it back. But
3: Tom, how do you think the game's going to pan out? It does sort of feel like we've just spent the last forty minutes or so just like standing in front of a brick wall and discussing how we're going to break it down with like a a, a normal sized household hammer um uh, and i guess the key is to just one of the bricks is faulty and you've got to hit the right brick and will we hit it i don't know
1: (laughs) i don't want to say anything more because i think that's the best place for us to end so there you have it the all starts on we west ham preview is done if you like hearing our voices then you're in luck there's ways that you can hear more of our voices Uh, we have a patreon channel which is a subscription platform where you can sign up for bonus material that goes out exclusively to our patrons we are recording a podcast tonight about formations and marcello bielsa and all those kinds of interesting things so if that sounds interesting to you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and see what's going on over there we should also mention that we've just announced a series in conjunction with Five Yards. It's called Water's List and it's all about the supposed list that Victor Orta has with transfer targets on it. And we're, what we're going to do is we're going to try and build our own version of Autors list for the five players that were mentioned by phil hay recently so that's starting next week on friday and we'll go out as a video stream but it will also go out as a podcast as well so you will get that straight into this channel so if you're subscribed to us here then you can find that if you're not subscribed do subscribe to us because that will guarantee that this drops straight into your aggregator so we'll be back on tuesday i think because the next game is on monday evening with a review episode so until then have a great week and all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to tom thank you and thank you to joe cheers and we'll see you all next week